Hello and welcome everyone to the Untold Stories podcast. I'm Osama Gawish and joining me today, Kiran Nazic, founding director of the Coalition for Women in Journalism. In this episode, we will listen to many untold stories of brave women journalists around the world. But before we welcome our guest in this episode, let me start with these inspirational words. Without facts, you can't have truth. Without truth, you can't have trust. And without trust, we have no shared reality, no democracy, and it becomes impossible to deal with our world's problem like climate change, coronavirus, and the battle for truth. These were Maria Reese's words. The Filipina journalist who won the prestigious Nobel Prize recently for peace this year. Risa is the CEO and founder of the RAPRIL, an investigative platform who works to combat misinformation and document human rights abuses in her country. Her site, launched in 2012, is one of the most popular in Philippines. Despite Risa's winning the prize, the field, the internet, and the newsroom are all considered now as danger zones for women journalists who are subjected to several forms of discrimination, harassment, and violence. On the homepage of the Coalition for Women in Journalism, you can read many, many stories and reports of such violations against women journalists around the world. From China to Argentina, from Turkey to Canada, to Myanmar, in Egypt, in Kenya, even in Saudi Arabia. As of December 7th, the Coalition for Women in Journalism has recorded 810 cases of violations against women journalists this year. A horrifying 11 women were killed in 2021. And at least 169 women journalists were made to confront legal harassment in this year only. Another 130 faced physical assaults and 104 women journalists were detained. Hostilities against women journalists were also prevalent in the virtual realm, with at least 89 of them being targeted with organized trolling and slander campaigns on social media. So in this episode, will join me many brave women journalists who have their own untold stories and they want to share it with us. So let me welcome a special guest, our special guest in this episode, Karen Nazic the founding director of the Coalition for Women in Journalism, which is a worldwide support organization for women journalists around the world. Nazit is a longtime journalist and worked as a war correspondent covering the Middle East, South Asia, and Mexico, among many places. She covered the stories from the front line of conflict, democracy, and human rights. And she was also the Stanley Knowles Distinguished Professor in 2019 and 2000. 20. So, Kiran, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Osama. Thank you for the great introduction, but also the emphasis of the work, um, you know, that we are doing to highlight um, the challenges that women journalists are facing around the world. So, Kiran, let me kick off. But before we start, I need to um, tell our audience and listener, you can join us on this discussion if you have your own story, just press the call button and the floor will be yours. So, uh, Kieran, let me kick off our conversation with a question about Maria Reese's winning the Nobel Prize. In your opinion, a woman journalist wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Is it right. a positive sign that the international community are supporting women journalists or we can consider it as a sign of danger that every journalist in this globe is in danger because of his journalistic work? Well, I think that it's both. Um, you know, it is. I do want to point out that it's, uh, you know, Maria Ressa has, you know, is one of the two Nobel Prize winners. Um, um, Dmitry Yarokov is, is the other one. And um, I think that um, it is a good sign that journalists themselves, like whether, you know, both men and women, they both, um, you know, won the Nobel Peace Prize. I do think that Maria's struggle and her work to bring attention to that to the press freedom challenges that journalists face at large is something that has also brought in attention to the fact that women 
um, are also, you know, journalists and they do important work and they're changing, uh, you know, changing the industry's landscape, fighting back in terms of press freedom. Um, I think Maria is a good representative, not only for women, but also journalists. Um, I also would like to point out that I think that um, um, Maria, you know, Maria Ressa got support not because the international support, the international community support, the support of, um, you know, a lot of journalism support and press freedom organizations as well who collaborated and got on board with Maria in, in her fight um, against, you know, a repressive government because Maria's own voice has been so strong. Um, I do not think that, you know, mostly when women journalists are targeted, you know, this is something that we see every day around the world, not only in countries like Saudi Arabia, um, you know, or Turkey. We also see this in the United States that when women journalists are facing challenges or talking about wanting to have press freedom, you know, even in Western countries these days in countries where that whole uphold democratic values um, you know, they're unable to support and see women journalists as, um, you know, uh, you know, as important part of the industry and they fail to support women journalists. Um, you know, I think that we are in a yeah. time where both things are happening. There's there's certainly, you know, an attention to women journalists in the field. There's certainly attention to the challenges that the, the two swords you know, uh, two-pronged challenges that women journalists face. But I think that the struggle is still very real for majority of women journalists, even high-profile ones. I mean, but, I have uh, a million examples right now that, you know, I'll be happy to share a few with them. With yeah, you. yeah, we, we'll come to this soon. But um, is was it frustrating that the day um, Maria Riza gave uh, her speech in Oslo, uh, when she won the, the, the Nobel Prize, the government in Philippines, they filed a new law case against her. Was it frustrating? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's frustrating. It's, it's at this point, it's just laughable. And I think that what I see, you know, I mean, you, you know, you also, you would see the similar things, tactics, you know, that Donald Trump did or a lot of repressive governments do. It happens in Egypt and Turkey and all that. We see these repressive governments doing like a tougher pushback because they don't have another option. So, you know, over here we're sitting and we know, you know, that this is wrong. It's laughable. But what they're doing is that they they are pushing back against. They're like, OK, well, I, we don't care. You got a Nobel. Uh, peace Prize. We are just not going to acknowledge it. We're going to dismiss it. So this is part of that campaign against, you know, press freedom and also that campaign that say that sort of, you know, uh, dismisses um, those uh, people who uphold democracy or democratic values this is happening to journalists is also happening to, you know, pol politicians in the same countries. So yeah, it is it is frustrating that this happened. I would say that, you know, just you probably, you know, everybody probably knows uh, we have followed uh, Maria's case from the very beginning for several years, all of the court cases. We always see whenever she's receiving an award, you know, the government would, would you know, do a travel ban on her or launch a new case or, you know, do a court hearing untimely, not let her leave the country. And we see this consistently happening. It is certainly laughable, also very frustrating that the government you know, um, there's another case against her on the very day. But I, I think that it's it's just a pushback by a repressive government. And I, that's not something that we should just be frustrated or laugh about either of those reactions. I don't think those are not enough. I think that we do need to think about this more collectively um, and with more clarity because this pushback is not a good sign. Yeah, and back to our theme of this podcast, the untold stories. Um, I, I think you have many personal untold stories about that coffee meeting in New York in January 2016. And I think this led to founding the Coalition for Women in Journalism. Would you please tell me more about that day? Sure. I mean, I think that it was years and years of pent-up energy and uh, pent-up desire to 
you know, I, I formed a coalition before the uh, the Me Too movement. This is this is at a time when, you know, now we are so familiar with gender equality and you know the Me Too and 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 that women have been treated unequally in media and other industries in in all over in the landscape right of society but i think that um so when i was forming the coalition this is at a time when i was speaking to women who were older than me and they were not uh you know they came with the same challenges that i came with um I'm, i i don't want to take up too much of your time but briefly if i would just i would i would um explain what happened is we um you know i i i used to be a war correspondent and during that time we essentially saw that women in all every country that i worked in um i worked in almost all continents and wherever i went i saw that women were treated differently oftentimes i was the only woman on the front line um and other times i was the only woman of color i also worked at uh, the new york times and i was the only one of color i was one of the two women of color on my floor um and so women and people of color and representation essentially is something that, that has always been missing and women know that women who have um you know strived um and you know uh, have been there doing the work they know that they are often the only one they're often only the only one in the room in in the newsroom in the in the you know at the conference and on the front line and so on um and i think that and i'm talking about responsible positions so we clearly see that women have been in there are a majority of women journalists who work in the industry in journalism are doing night shifts and are at lower tier positions so you would see them in population but you don't see them in you know in stature uh and in the hierarchy at every level of the hierarchy so um you know there was a lot of there was a lot going on in covering wars i lost some friends and i went through trauma and um you know i ended up in the hospital um in 215 and then eventually started thinking about um you know what i'm facing why you know how why am i facing this if i'm facing this it's probably something that has happened before to other women so i started talking to older women who you know had were way more accomplished um some of my mentors who were you know twice pulitzer prize winning journalists and all of them 100% of women told me uh you know that they were alone and they never had mentors and they had to figure it out themselves they had to navigate the industry themselves and those who couldn't were the ones who either left the industry or never thrived so uh, that's why you know on a, on a coffee shop it was with um one of my mentors who had been a journalist herself um um at ABC News uh 20 years ahead of me um and you know we decided that you know why has this been if this goes on generationally it's never going to end um so you know that is how uh, you know the thought of the coalition for women in journalism came about yeah so um i want to stress a very um important point here uh Karen that you coping the mental health issues by supporting your colleague that maybe suffer from the same problem right In, indeed yeah, yes because and mental health is a huge prop um a huge part of our yeah because well. because you know uh, as as a refugee as a journalist in exile who been through such a horrific massacre and problems in Egypt before i fled my country in 2013 we yeah we have the post trauma syndrome and we suffer from nightmares and every time we covered um, egyptian news or news came from egypt and so our friend in jails and our relative or our house is being destroyed and so on we we have this mental issue uh, problem so is it easy to cope this mental health issue by keep reporting no. about that that issue or or what no no i mean there's a combination of things osama and thank you for talking about this i i you know i want to say that whenever i the moment i came across your work i you know the immediate thing i thought at the back of my mind is that you know what you're doing is so hard as well and i know i uh, people like us we know from far away that we have all we have all gone through it right um so i mean i do want to say that no it was absolutely not easy um you know i had i had a very serious condition and um i ended up in the hospital and several times um and i had my own way of coping was a combination of things um you know i also rec- you know enrolled in a neuroscience course so that i could understand trauma 
scientifically. I took courses at MIT uh, and all of that, and I had a support system. I do want to say that trauma is difficult. Um, I think that many, many journalists around the world in the in the very repressive environment these in this decade, we are facing trauma, uh, you know, to an at an unprecedented level. The best journalists, you know, from around the world, we have suffered and we are suffering, and I don't think it's easy to cope. I think that um, certainly everyone should have mental health um, support available to them, but mental health support doesn't only help. You can't just go to a therapist and, and figure it out or meditate or, you know, all that. You need a support system. Without a support system, mental health cannot work. Support system is essentially the physical infrastructure around you that will help um, you as a journalist um, you know, other colleagues, uh, supportive members in the industry and people who are there to support you to continue your work. If you're a journalist in exile from Egypt, Lebanon, anywhere, Saudi Arabia, I was from Pakistan, you know, you can't, you, your greatest desire is to continue your work. Um, and it's impossible to let that go. Your life revolves around it. Your, the meaning of your life, you know, is around the work that you do. So I don't think that it's, you can give that up and then be mentally healthy or recuperate from your trauma, right? I think part of that trauma yeah. needs to heal with you to continue your work. Um, and I think that is one of the challenges that we have. We have a lot of work to do. And I think exiled journalists should work on this together. I think we need a community, supportive community, because we understand, um, you know, how to balance that trauma and what support essentially means, um, you know, for journalists who are going through this. And a lot of journalists are going through it. Yeah. Many. I'm, I'm totally agree with you because I'm um, Middle East Eye. They, they did a documentary about exiled Egyptian after um, 10 years after the Egyptian revolution. And they interviewed me, among others, from my friends and colleagues who were the um, participated in the revolution 2011 against Mubarak. And almost the three people, the, th the three subjects on this documentary, they, they all were crying when they remember the revolution, when they remember how they fled their country. So I think it's a combination, as, as you said. And um, I, I'm, I'm, we have in our um, callers, I think, a very strong example of um, how to cope with the mental health issues and how to keep doing your journalist work. I think our colleague, Sulafa Magdi, um, Sulafa, if you unmute yourself and please introduce yourself and narrate your story because you have such an incredible story as a woman journalist. Uh, good evening. Um, thank you, Osama, for inviting me to participate. Um, at the first, I'm uh, Sulafa Magdi, an Egyptian journalist and a human rights defender. Um, I worked as a journalist in Egypt uh, since um, almost uh, two, uh, 10 years uh, ago. I started as a correspondent for uh, different TV channels and international uh, news uh, papers. Uh, from 2017, um, the, the Egyptian authority blocked about uh, 500 uh, websites. Uh, the almost uh, the most of uh, of them was a, a news website. It was um, um, a crackdown for the uh, freedom of uh, expression, and it was uh, affected badly uh, uh, the main rules of uh, journalists. Um, uh, meanwhile, I uh, found uh, that is my right time to find uh, new tools to deliver uh, uh, our voices uh, to Egyptian uh, people. Uh, so uh, uh, I feel that I have uh, to launch a press initiative uh, focusing on the uh, use of social uh, media tools in uh, um, creating small press platform uh, 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 to be alternative verification media uh, channel and uh, covering uh, through direct broadcast technology uh, uh, on Facebook, uh, like um, uh, using uh, uh, live stream. Uh, uh, besides, the online uh, journalism uh, at this moment took a main place and it was in its way to be the alternative of uh, a newspaper. 
then uh, we found uh, or uh, discovered the essential of the using social platform as alternative for publishing news reports and uh, events. Um, afterwards, we turned towards using mobile journalism to uh, product uh, uh, a lot of news reports uh, uh, with photos and videos, uh, uh, but with uh, uh, a, high, uh, a high quality. Um, uh, then uh, my husband, uh, photojournalist uh, Hussam, and I uh, uh, founded of uh, uh, Everyday Footage. It was uh, a non-profit school uh, that uh, trains young women journalists and researchers uh, in Egypt. Uh, uh, in uh, mobile reporting uh, in order to be able to work as a one-woman uh, crew. Uh, then, uh, because of my work, I spent almost uh, uh, two years behind bars in Egypt. <laughs> and about this experience, Sulafa, and I, I was following your case for many years abroad, and as a former jailed journalist, how did this hard experience mm -hmm. impact you as a woman journalist? Um, to be honest, I don't want to go to details, but in general, the experience as uh, known for all, uh, but it was um, uh, maybe I can say a miserable experience, <laughs> but it uh, strengthens me as a journalist. Uh, also, it helps me to know more about women suffering and how I can support them uh, uh, by all uh, means uh, uh, I have. Um, uh, as I told you, Osama, uh, about my different aspects of my work in, uh, in Egypt, uh, so I can explain now the challenges I face uh, during all these uh, uh, years. Uh, um, it was not only uh, detention, but uh, on the other hand, um, the people themselves who I covered them stories. Uh, um, and as the government uh, in Egypt worked to destroy the image of the independent and freelance journalists in general. So uh, uh, the people there were afraid uh, to engage and uh, uh, talk to us as uh, as a journalist. Um, uh, on the other hand, the Egyptian government has its own voice and it delivered uh, a, a message to the people that they are the only source of news in Egypt. And any other outside voices uh, uh, are fake news. At this point, I was accused by publishing false news and it led me to be in jail for almost uh, two years, uh, uh, me and uh, also my husband. Okay, and from being a jailed journalist and working as a woman journalist in Egypt in such an authoritarian regime to recently, last week, you received the honorary citizenship in France. What does it mean to you? Um, uh, at the first, the solidarity campaigns uh, uh, by NGOs uh, is essential not only for the freedom of human rights defenders, but the more important is how these campaigns helps to integrate into society. Uh, and uh, this aspect is missing something important. It's how we can develop this. For, uh, uh, for the honorary citizenship, it helps me to have a freedom uh, from the jail and also the freedom of uh, uh, movement, uh, um, such as uh, uh, CFWIG have a positive impact on women journalists. Uh, uh, the record and publish uh, uh, the harassment. Uh, it's also they uh, need recovery plan. We need to think of uh, that, but globally. Um, finally, I uh, would like to say thanks 
for all the international solidarity for me as a woman journalist and for all uh, uh, journalists and uh, all of human rights defenders uh, all over the world. Uh, um, I need to say to them kindly, continue your solidarity. There are many and many others in jail need uh, your support and uh, uh, your efforts, uh, uh, plus your voices. Uh, all nations uh, um, should uh, to continue to support each other in this world so that we can attain what is the best for humanity. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Sulaf. And I think this last message is to, uh, to you, Kiran, if you, if you have a comment about the message that Sulaf has sent to the NGOs and to your organization to keep solidarity and keep campaign for women journalists still in jail. Yes. And first of all, I do want to say, um, you know, I, for, you know, thank you so much, Lafa, for every for your story and for sharing your story. Uh, we have come across your, you know, your case has been one of the, you know, really riveting cases that we had been documenting um, and campaigning for for a while. It's just something, you know, it keeps happening every new every every time every few months something happens. You also get trolled because of that campaign that the government has against you. Um, and I think that trolling is another tool. It's kind of like that software that's spread all over, uh, you know, in a borderless space called the internet, which also is a great efficient tool for oppressive governments to use against journalists. And, I, and, and, and in that, I would like to mention that when they want to target um, journalists, it, it becomes more efficient for oppressive governments um to target women journalists because when they they can easily you know spread trolling as a tool to repress um you know voices of journalists and press freedom um so you know i do want to say that you know in solidarity with you salafa you and you you have done amazing work um and i think that your work is um so important that you know they they come after you like that um I do want to say that we're going to enter, we're in December right now, we're entering 2022. And in 2022, I would like you to remember that there are 50 women journalists who are still in prison, um, particularly for their work, um, for their journalistic coverage. These women journalists, are majority of them are unknown, uh, you know, are not public figures, unknown in the sense that they're not popular top tier journalists, it becomes very, very easy for repressive governments to target women who are in the middle um, or bottom of the of the sphere of public knowledge. So, you know, when journalists who are high profile, they're targeted, those cases do get attention internationally. But the journalists who do not are very international, you know, and for example, Kurdish journalists in the southeast of Turkey, there are several Iranian women journalists who are in prison right now. Um, we consistently get reports that they are not being fed properly. We get reports of sexual harassment. We get reports that lawyers cannot access um, these journalists. Like we are always in touch with lawyers who are telling us consistently that they cannot communicate with journalists who are in prison. Many of these women journalists are actually in prison without trial, without proof or on false charges. So I, I do want you to know that, you know, uh, we should remember them and um, try to find out more about them. Um, you know, I think oftentimes we only focus on cases that we know are high profile cases. For example, Maria Ressa's uh, consistent struggle uh, for press freedom brought attention. Her, how, uh, her staff at Rapp Rappler has a clear division about how women journalists and women editors at Rappler have been targeted. So that brought an attention because of Maria's profile to these cases. But I also want to say that I think the most vulnerable and the most uh, you know, difficult cases of women journalists who are being targeted are the ones who are not very well known. And once we care about these issues, we need to pay attention to who are these women, find out about them. Um, you know, we publish at the Coalition for Women in Journalism. We publish, we are the only organization that documents violations and harassment of women and LGBTQ journalists um, around the world. We cover 92 countries consistently 
And then we also cover a few other countries who are not very consistently, uh, but we monitor the entire globe to see how women and LGBTQ journals are targeted. And I, we, on a daily basis, we are publishing at least five reports of violation. That is a lot. Um, yeah. So anyways, I think that this sort of like entering 2022, we need to think about how we can learn more about this and how we can direct that into, you know, uh, solvable ideas to, you know, counter um, this problem. Yeah, we know, um, Kiran, we, we, we always face this accusation from a people um, in Egypt or in any country that you are just publishing about your friends, you are j- just publishing about the prominent prisoners, political prisoners in Egypt, and where is the untold stories, where is the unknown uh, people? So regarding the women journalists, we, we all, for example, we all have heard the stories of the killing of women journalists around the world, like Kate Mitchell in Kenya, Daphne Krona Galizia in Malta, Rasha Abdullah in Yemen, and Rima Saad in Palestine, and you publish reports on your website uh, from your organization about this ministry media covered these stories widely. But as you said, what about the untold stories of brave women journalists that we do not know about them? If, if you give us one or two examples from your work, from the people you are um, covering their stories. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, I do want to mention that um, um, there's one story I do want to share, which but I cannot share her name because of safety reasons. Um, just uh, two weeks ago, um, I can say that the journalist um, is from um, an Eastern European country. So we are talking about Europe right? Uh, Post-Soviet Eastern European country. And, um, you know, she recently escaped. She was put into prison while covering demonstrations. Obviously, as you know, we are talking to a journalist community. So we all know that, you know, she was accused of being a protester and not recognized by the authorities as a journalist, which is a convenient excuse authorities often use. She was put into prison three times in the last one year. And finally, uh, you know, for the last few weeks, we had been, you know, ever since she got got out of prison, um, we had been trying to get her out of the country. And um, just very recently, we were able to evacuate her from the country in the middle of the night in which she uh, left, uh, you know, in hiding. She has a child and a mother um, and she had to leave her child and her ailing mother behind to escape, um, you know, the imprisonments and the targeting by the state. Um, I would also like to mention that her, she, you know, the prison situation that she, you know, has experienced is abhorrent. Um, we are talking about an Eastern European country. We're not talking about, you know, some well-known, globally well-known repressive country like North Korea. But this is the, the situation in that prison. She was not fed properly. There were a lot of people in the prison. It was communal situation. Um, a lot of protesters and demonstrators who were arrested were beaten up and raped, according to what she told us. And there were, like one of the stories that she mentioned, um, you know, was that there was a woman in, the, in a different floor who was being beaten up so badly that the next floor below her could hear that beating. And oftentimes that beating would take place in a way that deliberately so that everyone else could hear it. Um, and so, you know, like what is going on in the world? It's, it's just like astonishing that there are certain parts of the world where this is happening to protesters, demonstrators, and journalists are included in those situations. And then we cannot cover these stories and that we cannot tell these stories because you know, um, because of safety reasons for these journalists who do not want to reveal. And why don't they want to reveal that they are being targeted like this? Because they're, they don't have trust in the system. Who will support them? Um, I do want to mention, right, you know, one of the reasons that, for example, we have been trying to get asylum for several journalists in different countries. Um, and most recently, for uh, we were involved in the evacuation from Afghanistan. And I want to say that in the last two years, we've had with the with the best of governments, uh, we've had such a challenge lobbying for these cases of journalists who are oftentimes even well-known journalists who, you know, are in these long procedures of tedious um, procedures of getting any kind of 
you know, support from governments who claim to, you know, be, you know, hold democratic values and all that. I'm talking about Europe. I'm talking about UK. I'm talking about France, Italy, Canada. We're working directly with Canadian government, and they're very, very slow. The United States, the entire system is blocked. So why, you know, for journalists to work safely and to even tell what they have endured, you know, behind a prison by the authorities, um, similar things are happening in Myanmar, by the way, and we're not able to get people out of there because of logistical reasons. As you know, the military is very stringent over there right now. Um, so, I mean, I, I do want to say that, you know, like a lot of these challenges revolve around not only the, the work that we need to do to you know, supporting journalists um, publicly in public statements, but also that I think we need to lobby with governments and push back on uh, towards, you know, uh, governments who call themselves democratic and, um, and, and, you know, urge them to do more to support journalists and press freedom activists. Yeah, indeed. Because, you know, when I saw your, your website, I thought that I will find some report from China, from uh, North Korea, from Egypt, from some Middle Eastern countries. But I found some reports from Canada, for example, Argentina, from Mexico, from some um, East Europe countries, as you said, even in the UK. So it's, it's frustrating and it's dangerous that these countries that raise the values of democracy and freedom of press, freedom of expression, are targeting women journalists, are targeting freedom of press and freedom of, uh, of expression. It is not now about the Middle East. It is not now about the authoritarian uh, countries or dictatorship. It is now in Europe, in Canada, in the US. And I think this is a sign of danger, Karen. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the West, uh, you know, what used to be the, world, the part of the world just uh, almost a decade ago, that where where journalists of exile would come right um there was a community of exile journalists and human rights defenders in different parts of the world this happened in the 80s the 90s you know the uh, the 2000s but now we are seeing that these very countries uh, you know are you know i i have to say that uh, you know if i were to use the example of france or canada i would say like there's a lot of bullshit around <laughs> Um, saying that we welcome refugees or that we believe in democratic values because some of these countries are abusing their own um, people. They're they're repressive towards their own press freedom. And I another thing, Osama, you might relate to as well because you worked in the UK, is that what is happening is that in, in many of the Western countries, Western journalists are grappling with the press freedom challenges that we have done decades ago. So we come from that knowledge and insight about how to navigate these repressive um, tendencies in governments when they start happening because we've seen it and we've gone through it. And I think a lot of um, you know Western journalists are still learning that this is possible, and I think their reaction is a little bit slow. So you know I'm I'm not I'm very um, um, I'm very concerned about this. We 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 come up to another. Um um callers in this episode i think shayma with us she are waiting for a long time shayma if you can just unmute yourself and go ahead introduce yourself and give us a brief about your story yeah hello, hello. thank you for this important discussion osama and thank you for karen and sulafa sulafa's efforts also uh, my name is Shaima Al-Hadidi. I'm Egyptian journalist based, based in Istanbul. I want to share my story, but yani, forgive me for Middle English. I'll try to explain as much as I can. Uh, my story started when I can start from the point that I realized realize that my career in journalism put uh, me in many troubles. When I couldn't renew my Egyptian passport uh, from the embassy in Istanbul, where, where I live now, I have tried uh, since the summer of 2020, but unfortunately, uh, they refused to renew it and telling me to go to back uh, to Egypt to renew it. But because <laughs> I can't uh, go back to Egypt and they know that they know uh, I'm an opposition journalist, can't go to uh, my home country because I have six years prison sentence. Actually, I went to prison once. Uh, that's why I don't want to face um, this miserable and unknown fate again. 
uh, maybe I forget to mention the reason of being arrested um, at the age of uh, 19. Uh, I was uh, participating in demonstration calling for uh, the release of my university colleagues. So starting point of all what I faced happened when I was calling uh, of freedom. Uh, when uh, that's, uh, 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 that time I was a second year media student um, and this tries led me to, to, uh, to be arrested like criminals uh, from my university in front of all my colleagues. Also led me to sleep in the jail for days uh, and in bathroom where I, where the bugs were uh, lurking around and the floor was rotten and uh, wet, um, uh, with uh, prisoner's waste. Sorry for this disgusting scene, but uh, at least I was lucky. I slept in the bathroom for one night. Um, and uh, also I faced um, many troubles. Uh, I, I was expelled uh, from the university for one semester. I lived uh, away from my hometown and all my family for around a year before being able to leave Egypt. I don't know exactly why I didn't give up and, uh, from this danger career and uh, the fate bringing with, but I completed my studies and working in the same field in journalism, which calling uh, of freedom of expression. For uh, seven years after, I worked and collaborated uh, with dons of human rights groups and media outlets, which are uh, perceived uh, as a part of the opposition uh, by the Egyptian authorities. But despite all feeling of fears, as a journalist, I have just one month of validation in my passport now, and living in country could send her back uh, to home to her home country again, and um, uh, to, to to face her fate of being a prisoner again. But this time, my sentences years wouldn't be just six years which was uh, the punishment of standing for minutes in a, a demonstration. Uh, and I believe this time, uh, being an opposition journalist writing in uh, violation uh, that uh, accorded uh, against uh, journalists in Egypt, uh, arresting women and children, uh, and writing about people became disabled after, uh, after they were uh, tortured. I think they would be apply their uh, threats. Um, they, uh, they told me before more than like uh, nine years old, uh, nine years ago. Uh, and furthermore, being a female make, uh, make every step harder, especially in Middle East countries. To mention a few of uh, uh, underestimating women in, uh, in this field, uh, many of uh, my um, past managers, men I mean, Yani, uh, at the first period of working with, uh, they treat me as a limited mental capacity who can't understand the basic of writing and the journalism working. Then they would be surprised that I can do better than they expected and better than many of my uh, male uh, colleagues. Um, Shema, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, just hold on a uh -huh. second. The, your manager treated you like a limited mental capacity. Your manager abroad your manager that you're working with in exile or your manager in Egypt? Uh, no, abroad in Istanbul. Oh my God, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah after all, Ossikal, I'm so I sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sorry for jumping in here. I'm very curious as well. Shaima, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, how exactly he treated you? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm trying to, 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 uh, to, to, um, Yeah, is my yeah. voice clear? Yeah, I'm trying to, to, to show them that I, I have skills, I have abilities uh, for, uh, for my seven years career. I was studying while working for three years. Uh, after that, I worked for another three years and two jobs at the same time between part and full time uh, job. Uh, I developed my English, I learned Middle Turkish, I, I taken many courses in, in my field and made my CV by my own. 
And although of all obstacles that I faced, uh, sometimes I find uh, uh, of, uh, from my, uh, my colleagues in, in the same dangerous field, they are, are in underestimating me just because, I'm, uh, because of my gender. Uh, but I think... Uh, um, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, one more time, just to, to clear this point. Um, limited mental capacity and they underestimated you. Just give me an example. They are giving you a small task, an easy task to do, or what what they did with you to just understand that they are dealing you as a limited mental capacity. Okay. I remember uh, this month, uh, this, um, I faced uh, one, uh, one example. I was looking for a new opportunity and applied for a op- uh, position and, um, and the company smaller than the current I work in. Uh, but uh, they asked a friend working, working there, is she really able to do this job? Can she understand politics? Can she work at night shifts? Uh, all of these questions just because uh, I am female. They, they was one wondering because they they said she is a female. Can she do this uh, job or not? And they refused me. Be, be, uh, although my my CV is uh, is uh, over outstanding, but I faced uh, that uh, uh, I faced that many times. That's why I'm yani, uh, I used to 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 handle with it. I'm so sorry to hear that, Shaima, by the way. It makes me very, very angry. And uh, um, I I do want to say this is uh, almost 98% of um, experience for exile journalists and journalists, um, especially if you're a woman. This is certainly an experience. I do think that you have to be very aggressive. Um, to be able to stand out in front of them. And I think the only people that I know who have been able to do this work is are, are like, you know, super, super confident and, and to an aggressive level because um, that's the only thing that seems to work in a lot of these scenarios. So I just want to say I'm sorry that you have experienced this. Um, yeah, I was muted. So I'm just... Mm-hmm. Um, was talking that we need to open a discussion with Kiran and also with Ru'a because Ru'a has a different experience, Shayma. She she worked for Al Jazeera, BBC Arabic, Al Arabi, and now she's working with Sky News in, in, in the UK. So maybe Ru'a, if, if, if you want to jump in and just introduce yourself and if you can highlight this point, did the people in the, the, the media outlets in Arabic or even in Sky News now dealt with you as a limited mental capacity just because you are a female you can't understand this topic Ra, please just unmute yourself and the floor is yours until Ra can join us again Kiran this is this is a, a very important question actually um did the woman journalist facing an experience a gender-based discrimination in the newsroom well, absolutely. I mean, there's a. I mean, now in 2021, there's a lot of research on it um, that explains that as well. Um, and I think that post in the post Me Too world, we under, we have context to understand that. But it's always kind of been like that. I think a lot of. I do want to say that in the last few years, a lot of things have changed as well. I think we see more women because of the conversation, the public conversations we are having. There's more capacity of. Uh, you know, work. I think Roa is back, so I'm going to wrap up really quickly. But to yeah. answer your question, yes, absolutely. And, you know, before launching, we did a survey and we found that, you know, 82% of women journalists in North and, and South America, where we did the survey in 100 newsrooms, we talked to 100 newsrooms and found out what women were experiencing. This is back in 2016. And we found that it, almost 82% of women journalists felt they did not get the opportunities. They were treated differently. They could not rise in their careers. And many of them left their careers because of that. Yeah, and before, before I'm sorry, I need to, to say, Shayma, you, we, we all proud of you. We all proud of your great work and great story. Oh, and you. yeah, keep going and keep doing your work and stay strong. And yeah. You, you you are a professional journalist and just yeah ignoring them and as Kieran said be aggressive was such 
and insane people. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Thank you for your words. I, I appreciate it. We can support. We'd love to talk. Um, so, you know. Uh, you oh, yeah, it would be great. Great. So, Ruaya, please unmute yourself, Ant. Uh, hi, everyone, and thank you for this lovely discussion. Um, regarding the point that Shema mentioned, uh, to be a female, of course, every female journalist in all of the middle, uh, I can say that in all of the Middle Eastern countries, uh, would face this kind of um, discrimination, let's say. Um, um, I remember that once I've been asked uh, to do a night shift and they literally asking me that uh, is my family would be okay with that. So I was shocked why uh, male uh, colleagues are not asking this question. Uh, it's only uh, me and even more than this when they would... Uh, send you to a dangerous uh, zones, uh, they would prefer to send a male. That that was obvious with the distributions of the um, reporters. They would prefer to send a male journalist rather than a female journalist. Uh, so yes, uh, in many uh, places that have been worked, it's not the place itself, it's the people's mentality. It's not, uh, I'm not talking about Al Jazeera or BBC or sky no it's it's the mental of some people that women are uh, not capable of doing um, such um, let's say hard uh, hard work it's not like uh, she's not a teacher anymore she is she's doing something that's dangerous but when when your manager choose a, a male journalist rather than a female one is it about he is uh, more qualified than you or is it about his physical? He can do physical effort more than a woman journalist. It's based on what? Um, it's not about more qualifications because we were all the same. We have all the same experience, um, same age, let's say. Uh, it's obvious. It's uh, like I told you. It's mental. It's their mentality. Uh, they are not thinking about okay, who is who has more qualification. They are only thinking about their men from uh, in their perspective that uh, this job a male uh, could let's say uh, do it uh, better. Uh, he needs less support. So I why I should uh, send a female. I'm not saying that I'm not given. Uh, all these years, I'm not giving uh, good opportunities. I was, but it wasn't easy as for my uh, male colleagues. I have to work uh, double or triple than them to get these opportunities. I think you raised a very important point through, uh, regarding the family, if my family will agree about this type kind of work or not. So is it culture? Is it regarding the Middle Eastern country, the Arab countries? Uh, and my question for your personal experience, uh, is it the same in Al Jazeera and BBC Arabic and now with the Sky News? Uh, first of all, to talk about the culture, yes, it is. Uh, let's say, uh, I will talk about myself. Um, in my family, I'm the only journalist in the whole family. I'm not talking about the small uh, family, no, in my both sides, family from my mother and from my dad. So to work as a journalist at the beginning, it was like a shock for everyone, uh, especially it was at the beginning of the revolution. So this means that I'm putting everybody's danger uh, in danger in Syria uh, and I'm outside, uh, outside Syria. So this means that um, they are in danger and um, let's say in some way uh, I'm not caring because I... Uh, um, I was uh, everywhere with my name, with my face, with my full name even. It's not a fake name. So this means that uh, people are not safe. Until now, I can't speak to most of my family in Syria because I don't want to because because I choose this, this job to do. Um, 
so to 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 work this to work in this field it's not that common even uh, that that we have now a lot of female journalists in uh, the middle east but it's still something let's say will be called uh, to cover something at the middle of the night uh, it's it's not an uh, a usual job for women to to do so it's still yes there is uh, some kind of stereotyping that uh, it's something not for women um i face it a lot from my friends family um why you why you are doing this this is something you can live a better life especially because i was a teacher why you shift your career why you didn't uh, stay as a, an academic teacher and didn't do this uh, job um so yes um in the uh, let's say in the culture of the middle east yes it's still uh, to some point it's not an easy thing for uh, a female to do and it's not that accepted now the difference uh, i can say that it's ha there, there was a big difference between um working in uh, arab um tvs or companies and working for a british one um now in sky i have the same opportunities as everyone uh, no one would um let's say uh, look at my uh, look at my work according to my gender or according to my background i'm the only uh, middle middle eastern one in the newsroom currently um but nobody is looking at me that okay she doesn't know that much about the uk she didn't live that that long in the uk so oh let's not give her this or she can't do this no nobody will do this there is a very high awareness about this um so it's completely uh, different uh, because they've they've have they have been uh, in this field for a long time so we need i think in the arabic uh, channels we still need more uh, to trust women more to give opportunities to women more of uh, i really met a lot of incredible female journalists in the arab world but they couldn't have the same opportunities that maybe i had or another uh, uh, female journalist in in any place in the world had yeah thank you very much Roa, for for your great experience thank you very much and i i would say before i um back to you Karen, that the UNESCO issued the report maybe four or five months ago, and I think your organization, Karen, worked with the UNESCO on this uh, report is regarding the online violence. And in the Middle East countries, they found, the report found that three quarters of women journalists that um, on, on, on that report, they are victims to online violence. The trolls, organized the trolls and the, the death threats and the uh, rape threats and the different kinds of online violence. So, um, Karen, I, I, I'm sure that you are aware about these kinds of things, the, the, the gender discrimination, the cultural factors in the Middle East countries, and also the online uh, violence. So my question, what are the main structures that must be tackled to stop this violence, particularly against the women journalists in the Middle East? I want to say that, first of all, you know, the report that UNESCO published sort of highlighted something that we already know and we have known for a while. Um, I think because, and we, uh, you know, the CFWIJ also published uh, several reports, I think, um, you know, in the last few years um, before that report came out. Um, what that report does is basically reconfirm and reiterate uh, the notion that women journalists are targeted so widely by, uh, by you know, on through online trolling. I do want to mention that, you know, all of the things that I, I think Roa also mentioned, um, Shaima mentioned, um, the challenges that we're talking about that women journalists face are a lot of them are perceptive um, and they are inherent in society. So what women, how women journalists are seen, we also see women politicians are seen that way and are targeted that way, are treated that way, um, is that these are essentially our social issues. These issues exist in our countries and our nations in the mindset of society and communities. 
Um, so, you know, I think that we need to, when you ask uh, Osama, like, what can we do about this? I think that we need to go back to the root of it. And we need to look at it as a social issue and then have a conversation. Then we will figure out, okay, who should we talk to? Which is why, you know, the Coalition for Women and Journalism, we work with all kinds of people. Our allies are not just in journalism. We work with politicians, opposition members. We work with gender equality um, representatives or rights activists. We work with allies who work uh, and understand gender. Um, and understand democracy, because I think that the reason that women, the roots of why women journalists are targeted, the two main roots that, you know, I found in my career were society and democracy. These two things were failing and hence women became an easy target from both those angles. Um, and so I think that to tackle this, um, we need to uh, remember that these are issues of, um, you know, psycho social psychology and um, we need to go back and look at it in that from that perspective first. Um, and then we will have more clarity and we'll come up with better ideas um, to work uh, you know, on infrastructure of support. I do want to say one of the most straightforward ways, if you want to take away, like what can we do, is one of the most straightforward ways that I've worked in small communities as well as online large communities is support. A support system for journalists, whether it's for women or journalists in general, um, you know, we have a he for she program. Yeah, I, I, yes, exactly. I, I want to highlight this this great campaign, he for she, if you just explain the campaign, because this is the main issue, the main problem Shaima uh, mentioned, that it, it, you can she understand this topic? She is a female. Can she do this? So I think this is a great campaign, Kieran, to highlight he for she. We are male journalists. We we stand in solidarity with our colleague, our woman colleague, our female colleague. And we are fully supporting them in their work. And we all equal in the newsroom. So, yeah, would you please highlight this this campaign? Thank you so much, Osama. And I, I want to say that this idea kind of came about. I know that you and women has a he for she program. So we had a tagline. But this idea essentially came out in my entire career. Um, there are there are lots of um, you know I had a lot of privileges um, and I you know I used to be uh, you know at different levels of different uh, countries where I worked from Pakistan to Afghanistan to South Asia Middle East and the West and throughout these you know the challenges that you know we the reason we formed the coalition the challenges that I faced or I saw other women facing. One thing was consistent that we always were able to, if we had a male colleague who would vouch for us, who would support us, who would, you know, speak on behalf of us or who would um, support us in a newsroom, we, we were able to find better, uh, better support and better way out of our troubles, right? So I think that male colleagues have actually always been there and, you know, hidden in the newsroom. Sometimes it's your editor, sometimes it's not your editor, it's a colleague. Um, and I think male colleagues have always been the ones who have helped some of the women in the industry in some way. And any women that you see, including, you know, from everyone from Christiana Manpour to anybody, I'm, I'm using her name because I know a little bit of her background. And a lot of women who are on the top in the industry, they've always had he or she colleagues who are there to support them and listen to them and believe in them. So like you said, Osama, like, you know, we we are equal. And that's there are lots of he for she colleagues that we have in the industry. And I think that we are our goal at the Coalition for Women in Journalism is to bring them alongside us in this work, because I don't think that without, you know, our male colleagues, we can raise our voices alone. Otherwise, we're just talking to ourselves amongst ourselves. We um, at the Coalition for Women in Journalism, we've had a lot of support from male colleagues, you know, uh, from Nick Kristoff. Um, to a lot of our he for she mentors um, who have been there in all kinds of ways. We have, you know, our he for she colleagues have helped us get women journalists out of out of uh, jail, on bails. You know, they've gone and done a lot of logistical work in countries like Egypt and India, where we had had women who were in physical danger. Our male colleagues came in and they helped. So I think, and in the newsroom, you know, lobbying, talking, mediating between you know, in a difficult situation that a female colleague is facing, there's a lot of examples of how our male colleagues have helped women journalists 
um, and helped us do the support work for women journalists because sometimes we do need the male voices. So, and also it is very important that when we're talking about gender, we, it, it's important that, you know, male colleagues are talking about that because otherwise women are talking to women and men become the audience. We don't want men to be audience. We want men to stand with us and, you know, do the work with us in this, you know, in, in improving this mechanism um, for equality. Yeah, um, maybe just before we, we wrap this episode, uh, I don't have Christian Amanapur in this uh, podcast, but I'm so proud to host Kiran Nazic and listen to Sulafa Magdi and Shaymal Hadidi and Ru'a Gumran. So I want to thank you all for your great insights in this episode. And I want to um, finish this episode with you, Kiran, with a question. How do you see the future for women journalists? Well, I, I, I'll be honest, no sugar coating. I think there's a lot of work to do. What helps is that we are talking about it um, and that women are talking about it. I think that is really a start. But I do want to mention that is not that talking about these issues does not mean that uh, we are going to improve them. We have to do things. Um, you know, you uh, we are we're talking we're, we're a lot of this conversation is focused in the Middle East and a lot of the audience is from the Middle East as well. And we all understand, you know, from the example of the Middle East that just talking about the revolution or talking about major issues that affect the public does not help. Uh, we have to bring infrastructural change. And for that, we need to do work. Um, and so, like, we are here to work, which is what I'm doing. You know, I've been I was a journalist for 20 years before I saw uh, started this organization to do the work because I don't want to keep talking. Um, so anyone who's interested, um, you know, I'm here to I'm here to bounce ideas and all that as well. But I also want to encourage that, you know, when you're working um, with your community and talking about these issues and concerned about these issues, think about ideas that you can do and schedule them on your calendar. Say, okay, well, you know, this year or th in the next six months or in the next three months, this is what I'm going to do to change something. Um, not just to have uh, ideas and conversations, but also do things to change what is happening around you. Cool. This was one of my amazing uh, episodes of this Untold Story podcast. Thank you very much for all of you, for all our listeners, and to you, Kiran Nazic, the founding director of the Coalition for Women in Journalism. So stay tuned every Tuesday at 7 p.m. GMT exclusively on Colin and to get notification of all episodes and to listen to all our untold stories follow me on Colin and subscribe untold stories podcast please do share this episode with your friends and on your other social media platform if you have your own story and want to share it with me just email it to untoldstories.colin at gmail.com thank you very much and see you bye Thank you so much. Thank you, Osama. And I just want to say thank you for being a great he for she spirit. Appreciate thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kara. Bye.